In today's episode, I explore the dynamic world of digital content sponsorship with David Tintner, CEO of Thought Leaders. David shares his journey in creating his innovative YouTube intelligence platform and how it leverages data analytics to connect brands with the right content creators. He delves into the importance of long-form content, the role of AI in influencer marketing, and the advantages of bootstrapping in technology companies. Tune in for a deep dive into a tech innovation journey and gain valuable perspectives on the future of digital content strategy. Welcome to the Ecom Pulse, your heartbeat to the world of e-commerce. Join us as we meet industry leaders, innovative entrepreneurs, and passionate professionals who are at the forefront of the e-commerce revolution. From groundbreaking technologies to marketing magic, EcomPulse is your insider's guide to all things e-commerce. So plug in, gear up, and get ready for a pulse-pounding journey into the heart of e-commerce. Welcome, everybody. I have a special guest today, David Tintner, CEO of Thought Leaders, a YouTube intelligence platform. Welcome, David. How are you? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the show. David, let's start with your personal story. Please share with us your professional journey and what inspired you to found Thought Leaders. Sure. Um, well, I was a content creator myself. I was making content about web design and web development, which is kind of professional B2C content. And I had a blog and um, an email newsletter and a podcast. This was in 2012, 2013, uh, right. a bit before kind of like the concept of creators really took off. And what I found when I was making this content was that even though my audience was growing and I knew that there people were resonating with the ideas and the things that we were talking about, it wasn't that easy to monetize this concept. It wasn't there, back then there was, you know, the obvious stuff like putting Google ads on your website. Um, but all of that, that kind of programmatic advertising was optimized for huge content sites, B2C stuff, you know, blogs that were getting, tons and tons of views and impressions. And it was paying the, the publisher, the content creator, based on how many clicks they got or how many impressions they got. And it wasn't paying based off of how valuable their opinion was. So I felt there was this gap in the market for really good content creators, people who were developing an audience, people who could um, sway their audience with their opinion, especially if they were to give their endorsement about a specific product. If they were to come and say, you know, I love this, this microphone, this is the microphone to buy. Yeah. Um, then their audience would go and buy it. And that's actually what most brands really want when they pay for advertising. So there's this gap in the market between um, brands getting the value that they really want and how the advertising was paying to, to creators. Um, and I wanted to really hone in on that. I found that what, when I did direct advertising sales, when I went to the products that I was already using and just reached out to them on my own as a content creator and said, Hey, um, I'm using your software. I reached out to Adobe, for example. Um, Envision was one of the first the software for designers was one of the first uh, companies that ever, that ever sponsored our content. 
And when I reached out to them and I explained to them, I'm using your software. I love it. I'd like to share what I'm doing with my audience. I have this audience of, you know, 40,000 designers. And I believe it can be a really good ad for you, really good sponsorship for you to buy. Even these big companies were responding back to me as this little content creator and saying, wow, that's a great idea. Yeah. And they're willing to pay much more for that than I could get from some kind of like programmatic ad server, Google type thing. So I started doing this as a content creator um, with uh, the company was called Hacking UI. And I had a partner in that. Um, his name was Sigi. And we both um, kind of reached out to all the products and, and the companies that we were using ourselves. And it started going really well. And we found we kind of reached this, um, this there, was, there was still a ceiling of what we could get paid for the ads that we were doing because there was still... Um, a measurement taken into consideration by the brands of what our audience size was. Um, We were getting paid much more than we would from any other platform, but there's still a ceiling. So what we started doing to break that ceiling was reaching out to other content creators of similar types of content and saying that, why don't we kind of um, sell your ads for you? We're going to go to, you're making content about designers and, and web development and stuff too. We got to deal with Adobe. Um, why don't we tell Adobe like, do the deal for both of us and we can get more money and, you know, we'll take a, a cut of, of what you'll get, but it, it will still be way more. And it'll be promoting this product that I know that you love anyway. Sure. And that experience as a content creator led to, and really testing to uh, the market to see that gap really led to the beginnings of thought leaders. Um, so thought leaders was founded with the idea of how can we basically connect brands and creators to make perfect matches. Um, and the idea is that a, a perfect brand creator match will be something that the audience of that creator will be happy to hear about. They'll find valuable, right? If I was creating content um, about web design and I explained my exact web design workflow as I moved from InDesign to um, maybe the JetBrains IDE I was using or whatever, um, my audience wanted to hear about that. And when they they heard it was coming from me and they had already read tons of blogs and stuff that I had been writing. They valued that opinion. And they said, oh, I'm going to try it. If he's using you know, this, this design software, this development software, I'll try it. So it was working really well for brands. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was the journey and then leading up to the creation of Thought Amazing. Leaders. So you started with one creator, two, three, and it's, uh, the feedback obviously was uh, very, very good and the value that you provided in this journey, obviously for the advertisers. And, you know, in, in terms of thought leaders, you are known as the YouTube intelligence platform. Can you explain what it entails and how is it changing the landscape of digital content sponsorships? So what we found pretty early on was that YouTube was this crazy, crazy powerful source of content. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's video, it's, um, it's just in every country, um, for the most part, uh, just absolutely massive. There's people coming to it looking for everything. Um, and what, going back to the original ideas of thought leaders of trying to match brands and creators, what we found was that if you can find the perfect creator on YouTube for to promote your brand, then amazing, great. But it's pretty hard to find the perfect creator. Correct. There's so many things that you would want to know about a, a YouTube channel before you would say, this is perfect. This is the channel that I want to promote my brand. So 
we've started diving into that at Thought Leaders and trying to um, analyze channels and figure out what would make them a perfect fit for that brand. So we do a few um, interesting things. For example, one we developed our own um, uh, model for picking brand mentions out of content. We look even within the transcripts of YouTube videos, uh, the descriptions and titles, and we find mentions of the brands. And then we also determine if the mention of the brand was sponsored or organic. So this is really helpful to brands because imagine um, a brand wants to find out if this would be a good sponsorship for them to buy this channel. And they see that a product similar to them, maybe this brand's an app, a free app, right? And yeah. they see that there was another free app that sponsored this creator's content five times. So that's a really strong signal to the, the your brand that this this kind of, of sponsorship will work for you. Sure. Imagine that you saw that same um, competing app sponsored once a year ago and never came back. Well, that could also be a signal that it's not going to work for you. Mm-hmm. So um, understanding sponsorships within content is really helpful to building out a, a media plan and determining what kind of channels to buy. Uh, but that's just one angle of it. There's so many things that you might want to know about uh, channels content. And what we try to do is really expose the data, um, give our own calculations and our kind of twist on the world of, of intelligence is that we let the user really um, customize their reports and dive into whatever it is they might mean. Um, Kachura, like another interesting use case, for example, is, is brand safety. So um, some brands, you know, when you hear brand safety, you might be like, oh, of course, like I don't want to be, you know, on some channel talking about uh, Nazis or drugs yeah. or sex or whatever, right? Sure. But that's like the, the easy stuff. The We, we worked with um, a company who um, was at a product, a mattress product, right? They wanted to sell mattresses. And it was really important for them for them, brand safety meant that a content creator, you know, wasn't always telling their um, audience how how poor their sleep is, right? Imagine that there's a content creator who um, their their content isn't about mattresses; it's not about sleep. I don't know. Maybe it's about um, they're doing reviews of movies, but they're kind of they're ever always saying like, "Oh man, like I, I can't sleep. Like I've you know horrible sleep." And then one day comes along this mattress company and is like, "Hey, yeah, sponsor." sponsor my channel. So yeah. it looks so inauthentic and so off brand. If suddenly this creator is who's building up, you know, this audience for years telling them about how his sleep is horrible and he snores and he sleep apnea. And, and then one day it's like, Oh, this is the best mattress you'll ever buy. What? What? What are you yeah. talking about? So brand safety is another angle for that. Could be sure. really interesting. So you spend a lot of time aggregating data analytics on the platform, building your own technology platform, making sure that, you know, you can match brand to a specific creator based on their past performance, characteristics, you know, character, the videos itself. And so what is the best, I mean, the, how brands are engaging with you? I mean, they are getting access to this technology platform. Is it a service component that you provide? Or maybe it's a mix and match of both? Uh, it's both. It starts with the technology platform. So we have a technology okay. platform for both um we serve uh, five different personas, really, brands and media agencies on the buying side. And we serve yep. creators and talent agencies on the selling side and also creator services companies, companies that want to um, reach creators. And 
they get access to a technology platform, which they can use freely and, and, um, and see, you know, all the data, there's nothing that's like internal only or hidden for us. Mm-hmm. And, um, we also have a service component on top of that. So specifically for brands, the service component is, um, we have an account manager that will run or help them run, um, sponsorship campaigns with YouTubers, reach out to YouTubers, sure. negotiate, get ads live, check that they're done correctly. Um, follow ups, contracting payouts. So it's basically a media agency service on top of a technology platform for brands. Yes, and this includes also the scripting, the back and forth on the video, and you show it's approved and all that. Process, yeah, totally. Right? Something that's um, really important for us is that it's all done really openly. Um, so a brand can come to us and say, look, I'm, I have an internal team and I want them to manage this with this creator. Sure, absolutely. Here you go. Or they could say, um, no, I don't have a team. We're really capped out. We don't have any capacity. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so we need your help to do all that. So there's a spectrum of how much they want of that service component, but we can take it you know, all the way to the, to the end. Great, if they want. great. So from your experience, experience, obviously doing this for, for many years with hundreds of uh, brands, what do you see now are some of the biggest challenges brand face in digital content? And how does thought leaders address these challenges? Well, um, in specifically buying sponsorships with with creators, with YouTubers, yeah. Um, one of the biggest challenges is knowing if it's a good sponsorship for you, and specifically if the price that the creator wants <laughs> is going to be valuable for you. Because in theory, every channel could be valuable or worth it for a brand at some price, right? If a creator says this is a dollar, you know, it might be worth it. Um, but the pricing is completely unstandardized in the creator sponsorship space. Um, you can reach out to two virtually the same channels and they can give you prices that are, you know, miles apart. Um, yeah. So we help with understanding the price and if it's valuable and and most importantly, look, it's a, it's a negotiation, right? Between brands and creators and the brands, they want to get performance for their ad. They want to pay, you know, a dollar and they want to get back more than that in the sales. Um, sure. For a creator, they have a valuable, you know, piece of real estate within their content. And it's not their fault if the brand's, you know, landing page crashes or the brand's product is just not as good. Some products are not as good as other products, right? So it's not all their fault either. Right. Sure. So finding kind of the middle ground between them both, um, is, is not always easy, but what we find in the way we kind of try to solve it is we try to help both sides come back to it with data. So, um, a brand can come to a creator and say, look, like I, I looked at the views that you've received on your videos over the last, um, 90 days. And I kind of have a projection of what I think a likely amount of views that the next video you put out will be when that video is, let's say 30 days after publishing. And I removed, you know, or maybe I censored the, the one outlier because you did have one viral video, mm-hmm. but it went like crazy viral and it was a real outlier. And I see that if, you know, realistically I'm, I can project something like, you know, 150,000 views and a reasonable CPM on that. And basically a brand can come to a creator looking with real data that, and they can find that middle ground. 
And by the way, we we have the platforms available for creators and talent agents too. So they can do the same thing to a brand. Many many times I've seen it's the opposite. A brand is saying, what well, I, I don't believe it's it's worth that price they're asking for. And the creator is also able to come with data and show them, well, this is why I think it's a fair price. There are some things in the market that I think um, you can't break, for example, like um, there are kind of reasonable CPMs that are attributed to different types of content or, or different um, uh, geographies. Um, but um, showing with data that maybe your content is going to continue to get a lot of views way after the 30 day mark, right? Maybe this, this is really evergreen content can be something that yeah. can help. Yeah. And in terms of brand, I mean, obviously they're working with those uh, influencers for uh, discovery, for conversion, for a variety of, uh, you know, the, the, the lifecycle funnel. How do you see brands, um, you know, today, you know, in the current economy, evaluate their KPIs in terms of success of these campaigns? So most of the brands that we work with have pretty strict performance uh, goals, like conversion okay. goals they want to see for the campaigns. The evaluation could be something like um, the price that they pay for, going back to the app example, uh, mm -hmm. per install of, of the app. Um, okay. It could be a sales target if it's a different type of product. It can be uh, leads, um, convert like getting a lead can be a, a target for a B2B product maybe. Um, so, and, and when brands come to us and they don't have those performance goals strictly laid out, we help them try to find that. Because I think that's important, not just for the brand, but also for the creator, going sure. back to the creator and saying, look, this is what I need to achieve. You know, um, I, I have real numbers. I'm, I'm evaluating your channel against every other channel. And if you can help me achieve this, we can consider this thing a success. And most importantly, if the creator knows what's success, then we can have a real long partnership together. Right. If I can find sure. successful, um, uh, if I can run successful ads with you, then we can we can continue doing it. Um, so in terms of tracking, right, because knowing your your conversion goal or target is important, but then tracking it is equally important, right? Because if if you're not tracking it correctly, then you might think that you didn't get it and you di actually did, or you or vice versa. Yeah. Um, so there's a few ways that it can be tracked uh, on YouTube sponsorships specifically. Some of the common ones are using a like a vanity URL, right? Um, Mybrand.com slash MrBeast, right? For the, yeah. you know, the sponsorship I did with the MrBeast channel. Um, giving a specific discount code is another way. Um, and then seeing how many redemptions you have with that code. Um, right. There's QR codes is something that's getting more popular on, on YouTube now. Um, and all of these things should be used kind of with just a grain of salt because you have to remember that you may be, especially on YouTube, especially if you're doing sponsorships with large creators, like the Mr. Beast example, it's very unlikely that every single person will see your product for the very first time on that one sponsorship and then immediately go and um, convert whatever your conversion goal is, right? Sure. They may have seen you um, on three other YouTube channels before and this fourth time was the time they decided to do it. Yeah. So it's important to track this stuff, but then to kind of build um, some prediction models that understand uh, um, 
what were the actual um, likely inputs to get those outputs because it's probably it's almost definitely I can say not so clear as just you know I got 10 discount code redemptions from this channel the day after the video went live so that's that's my performance it's almost definitely not that not that yeah sure and from the content creators perspective themselves how do you see their thought process and specifically about balancing creative output versus commercial output you know don't not compromising on quality well just like the the lack of standardization with pricing there's a complete lack of standardization here too Jeff. but the good ones i could tell you what um would make a really good sponsorship is the the creator who comes to that brand um or that potential brand deal and is evaluating it like crazy and and really truly considering if they would use this product themselves and if they can endorse it in front of their audience and um you know sometimes that means asking hard questions of the brand or or really testing the product or taking some time before they you know they they film the integration you know so they really believe in the brand yeah. um but let's assume that sure like the creator now has done that and they believe in the brand and they they have decided that they they this is a product they can endorse well then the creative aspect of it is really important to that the that the sponsorship feels natural within the content that they would have produced anyway um there's a a cooking youtuber uh who i really like his name is adam ragusia and he's an absolute expert at these transitions so um he he's built up an amazing channel, really good content over the years. And, um, he does content in this kind of style of, of like, he's a at home chef and he, he makes you feel like, man, like I can make this like, yeah, like it's not, sure. you know, it's not like a Gordon Ramsay, crazy yeah. really pretentious thing. It's like, no, like, Oh man, I, I might even have those ingredients in my fridge right now. Like if Adam can do it. Yeah, I can do it too. And the kind of the spin that he adds on top of it is that he likes to get into a bit of the science of the, what you're, what he's making. Right. And I'm telling you this cause I'm, I'm trying to share that this guy has built up a character. Right. And, yeah. and just as a fan of the channel, I kind of know like his character, right. Even though it's, it's a cooking channel. Like he shows you a recipe for spaghetti, like it's a cooking channel, but he has right. his character. So, um, he can take a sponsorship that seemingly has nothing to do with cooking and work it into a spaghetti recipe video perfectly. And I, I highly suggest anyone who's thinking about doing sponsorships, go look at Adam Ragusea's channel to see, you know, just a few of the sponsorships that he's done and how he, how he transitions into it. But the point is that I can come to his channel looking for, um, you know, his New York pizza recipe and three minutes into a video, he can, essentially pause the video for 30, 60 seconds or something and do an ad for Squarespace, a website builder. Yeah. Okay. And mm -hmm. as a viewer of that content who came there looking for New York pizza recipes, I won't be turned off by it. Go, oh yeah. Yeah. Thanks Adam. Wow. Yeah. That's like, thanks it for letting me know sense. about yeah. that thing. I didn't know yeah. about that. Yeah. Interesting. So those YouTubers, I mean, weren't creating content. I mean, their main income source is obviously YouTube, right? Or advertising and those sponsorship deals, right? How do you see this evolving? I mean, do you see them investing more and more in YouTube? Are they looking for uh, other sources of revenues? 
Well, I want to jump so quick to say that they're, that the majority of YouTubers have the majority of their income from sponsorships. Okay. Um, their advertising tends to make up the largest portion of income for most YouTubers that we come across. But right. advertising on YouTube, and this is what makes YouTube, I think, so special and so powerful, is that YouTube, the platform itself, also pays out creators for ads. So when you say when you talk about advertising on YouTube, you're talking about both the the programmatic ads, the AdSense from YouTube, and separately you're talking about sponsorship deals, sponsorship right? Deals. Creators have to sure. get the sponsorship deals themselves, and YouTube handles the AdSense for them. Um, so there are creators who've who who have built up a really good internal sales team or work with a great talent agent um, and are getting a ton of sponsorship deals. And then I've seen yeah. those creators, yeah, totally can, can have their sponsorship deal revenue be way more than their YouTube AdSense revenue. Um, but many creators just haven't put the time in to make it, you know, it's a business, right? And it's um, a lot of people out there are, are amazing content creators, but maybe they don't like the business side of it. And this is direct, you know, sales that they need to be doing. Um, so the AdSense they get even if they're not doing it, right? But yeah. the problem with AdSense is you're kind of at the mercy of the algorithm gods, right? If, um, if for whatever reason your channel starts getting a little bit lower views, your revenue goes down. If the um, content type that you that you do is not deemed like super brand safe on YouTube, then um, you know you might not get revenue. I I have. Um, I recently spoke with um, some content creators from uh, Israel that, you know, are making content about um, not even like, it's not like war content or something at all, but just like walking in you know the streets of Tel Aviv and, and stuff. Um, maybe they interviewed someone who, I don't know, was a uh, family member of a hostage or something. And like, they don't get ad revenue on these videos. So there's all yeah. sorts of things that can like um, mess up uh, someone's um, AdSense revenue. Um, but then you asked, how do I see it evolving? So I personally think that advertising is going to remain the biggest portion and the most important revenue source for content creators. And I, and that's kind of pretty fundamental to my belief about what we're doing at thought leaders and why it's important. Um, and I, the alternatives I can lay out for you why, why I think this, but just to to lay that kind of the foundation of what are the alternative sources of revenue yeah. for content creators. Mm -hmm. So you have, um, you have kind of um, paywalls, right. Which are like the Patreon or subscriptions and a paywall is essentially if you pay me, you as my viewer, pay me money directly to the creator, then I will give you some new content or some special thing that I only give to the, the type of um, the, the premium viewers that pay me. Well, yeah. for me, this is kind of, problematic on on a global scale i'm not saying i'm not suggesting that creators shouldn't do this but i'm just saying if everyone did this what a shitty world we'd live in that okay only if you're rich enough to pay for creators do you get the good content and if you can't afford it then you get like the shitty content okay right. so yeah. i don't think i don't think this is um um i hope that we don't live in a world where that's that's what happens everywhere um the other alternative or an, an additional method of income for creators is merchandise or, or making their own brands and selling the products. Sure. So merch um, is something, you know, creators should definitely do it. Like it's cool. Like I've creators that I like, I, I would wear an Adam Grissio shirt. I just told you, I, I, I like his content. Like I'll wear a shirt. Yeah. 
but this is, is, you know, how many shirts can you sell? Like, this is not going to be, Correct. it's not going to beat advertising. It can be a nice side source of income for some creators, but it's just not going to be um, a bigger thing. Another alternative is creators can make their own brands, right? So again, keeping with the cooking creator, he can make um, a line of knives, right? And cool, all the people who are um, watching his content are probably going home and cooking themselves and they can buy his knife, right? Sure. So this can work. Uh, and again, I'm not saying don't do it, but is this for the vast majority of creators going to become larger than advertising? No way. Sure because no. effectively yeah. what you're doing is you have to run the entire business side of, of logistics of the brand, the product, the shipping, everything there. And I know there are companies that are helping creators do this, but still this, the, the, you have to spin up a whole new product line. But then after you spin up the whole thing, what do you have to do? You still have to advertise it within your own content, right? <laughs> <Sure>. So, <laughs> so you're it, great. Effectively, what you're trying to do is for, as a creator who makes their own product is you're saying the, the margin difference between um, what the brand pays me and what they get back in sales, there's some gap there. And that's what I'm trying to get to when I'm making my own product. And I find that for many creators, the gap might not be like that big to make this whole logistics operation worth it. But even, even if it is, it's still one product and that you would be advertising, even if it's your own product, right? Correct. And um, just to point to a good example, like Mr. Beast made, you know, Feastables, right? His, his own product, he sells chocolate. And in almost every video he does now, he talks about Feastables. Totally. He does essentially an ad for Feastables. He's still doing brand deals, multi-million dollar brand deals yes. per video for a completely different product. Here is some new credit card that's good for teenagers. I don't know. Right? So um, yeah. I think advertising is going to be a really, really important revenue source for creators for a long time. Um, there probably are other alternatives to income that I didn't mention, um, micro payments and stuff like this, but they're like so small today that it's not even, they're not even like realistic sure. alternatives. Um, and what I, I guess what I would leave everyone with is that I think that we should be trying to make advertising good because, because we all know that advertising can be done in a really shitty way, right? Advertising can be, um, not native. It can be not like, um, it can make you. You know, you, you just want to skip this ad and you can't, and that can be really frustrating and it can like ruin the experience sure. for a, a viewer um, or advertising can be like stealing their, you know, behavioral information and checking their browser history and all this. So advertising can be really bad when done poorly. But at the end of the day, we all do like watching content and we build, you know, affinity for a content creator. And if that creator tells us, about a product that they like themselves, this can be a pretty nice experience. And um, I think if we can do more of that, we can both help creators get paid because they need to get paid to make good content. And as, as viewers, we can also enjoy our experience. It doesn't have to be bad. Yeah. And obviously, you know, personalization is uh, a way to probably discuss, you know, the introduction of AI right to influencer marketing and how ai is influencing this and you know according to influencer marketing hub like 63 percent of companies plan to use ai in executing their influencer campaigns so what are your thoughts on ai where do you see this being used right now and in the future 
Well, I, you know, I say this, my background is technical, right? I, I, yeah. uh, I'm a developer. Um, I worked for, uh, I started my own company. I worked in a data company, an R and D. So I, obviously I like technology. I use technology and I know about technology, but I do think that, um, most, most recently, you know, since ChatGPT really came out, the pendulum has swung really far to everyone thinking that AI is already way better than it currently is. And I think um, to answer your question, the more kind of helpful take that I can give on things right now, instead of just being another voice of like, yeah, AI is going to you know take over everything and we don't need to do anything. Yeah. That's what everyone's kind of saying. And, you know, it could solve all our problems. And, and again, I'm, I'm for technology. I'm a technologist. Like, I'm for it. But I think the more helpful kind of take I can give now is that I personally find that every time I'm trying to use um, specifically, you know, a chat GPT type thing, large, large language models to um, completely automate an important business process that I have, it doesn't quite work all the way yet. Sure. Now I, I see the potential, right? And I know it's evolving quickly. And I'm I'm definitely not trying to say that it never can do it. I'm just saying that to the, to going back to like the the statistic of you know the, I don't know sixty three percent of of companies are using AI in their campaigns. We're we're trying this all the time, right? And it's not yet replacing the important business processes for us. It can maybe give um a leg up on some of the less important processes the things where we were doing them manually and we were kind of we were like okay with them not being done that well um so there there are some areas where we've been able to implement it already um but it's just not quite there i'm saying this you know january 21st 2024 it's not sure. quite there yet for the important business processes. And yeah. I think that um, it probably won't be there in a super meaningful way to completely replace things like this year. Right. So for we're sure. watching it really closely. We're trying stuff always. We are finding some ways to change out the less important stuff. Um, but um yeah, like search, yeah. like scripting, probably and stuff. Yeah, like the non-art or production style of you know creating the videos and still need to be a human process and a manual process, obviously. And and um, and look, I, I will be super happy when it when it does. Right? I mean, I think it can yeah. lead to amazing things. Um, but I just think um, there's still like that that last bit that doesn't quite fit perfectly. Sure. But without that last bit, like the, the process isn't, isn't done. Correct. Correct. No, it's great to hear that you're exploring, uh, you know, AI, obviously implementing this in your platform. So keep us up to date with any breakthrough there. David, in terms of you, uh, recommend, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. sorry just, just to kind of, again, so like we're totally exploring it, right? For example, our process for, um, detecting uh, sponsorships within uh, within videos. So we we did implement um, a large language model to improve portions of the pipeline, the data pipeline that we yeah. have for this. Yeah. Um, and and there's we can make accuracy improvements there, which are great. 
Um, but still, it it our, we found it couldn't work, you know, perfectly with only that, right? Sure. Um, Sure. Yeah, but it takes uh, some, you know, important, you know, manual task or some automation task that, but it's not something that you can definitely complete a full process from. David, about, uh, you know, short form versus long form and specifically on YouTube, how do you see this uh, influence advertisers and where do you see the budgets are going? So short form came out like, you know, crazy specifically YouTube was trying to catch up with TikTok, right? Correct. And um and I'm saying this from, you know, the mindset of like uh someone who deeply is involved with YouTube. Uh but obviously, mm -hmm. you know, there's Instagram Reels and Snapchat and all of that. But um YouTube created shorts to try to catch up to TikTok and they saw that TikTok was a real threat and that if they didn't do something there, they would lose this entire audience, right? And it's a younger audience and it's important that they have this audience on the platform even though the older audience is currently worth more money to them. But if you don't have the younger audience, then you, you won't have them in the They're future when they're the, the older audience. Correct. Exactly. So, um, so they really pushed hard with shorts. And in my opinion, this made for a really bad experience for a lot of last year. Um, it created like kind of a chaos it, where creators didn't really know what to do. Um, they, you know, they're trying to follow where the money is because they need to get paid and it wasn't clear. And um, what I've seen happen is that the pendulum has swung a bit back towards long form. Uh, the money isn't really there in the short form content um, and definitely not anywhere near where it is in the long form content. I think sure. that also people um, thought that you know, the, the common thing to say is that like, uh, intention spans are so low, nobody can watch anything for more than, you know, 12 seconds anymore. And I think this was also proven to be not completely accurate. I mean, one of the biggest, you know, I would say content creator success stories of 2023 was Lex Friedman, who does a four and a half hour podcast yeah. interview with, you know, and so tell me again how nobody can listen to anything for, for more than 12 seconds. Like, so what I've seen is that, or my, I guess, hot take on this whole space is that short form is obviously easier to create than long form. And what happened was the supply of short form content just blew up. Blew and, up. Um, and everyone thought that that's what all we want is short form because the, the supply was there. It's just, there was, you know, also a bunch of tools for making short form content easier. Um, but I personally find when I'm, just, you know, mindlessly scrolling on TikTok or YouTube shorts that the satisfaction I get or the feeling that I have after I've scrolled for 30 minutes on short form content is like, is really bad. I, I don't yeah. find that I'm, I'm feeling afterwards like, Oh, that was like a great scroll session. You know, I just learned so much <laughs> awesome stuff. I feel really good yeah. right now. I don't know. I, I get like all sorts of weird stuff that I, you know, they know is like, I feel that someone is like poking around my brain and trying to addict me. I, I get right. all these, you know, the satisfying videos that are yeah. like, um, you can feel the people cleaning off you. stuff and yeah. yeah. And, um, and when I'm watching long, long form content, I, 
at least the type of content I tend to watch is I watch, um, you know, explanations of historical events, um, or, uh, tutorials about how to play guitar or uh, cooking with a spin of science, right? Um, math videos and they're really interesting. And YouTube has like these amazing creators who can take a physics concept and make it fun. And, um, and I say this, you know, from my own personal experience and also the same, I see the same thing when I, um, put on content for my son. A, uh, a three and a half year old son who is, you know, watching stuff on YouTube as well, and and I see that I can put on a video about space for for kids, and um, and he's into it, even though it's educational and it's long form. Sure. So, um, wrapping this up, I would say that the long form is the higher quality content. It's the better thing. I hope that it continues to be strong and I hope that the money moves continues to move back into long form content. I've seen it move back um, from where it was about a year ago, shifting back this way. I think that YouTube has also realized that the threat of TikTok is, um, it's kind of like at bay. There is a threat there, but it's not like this. It's not that they're um, exponentially taking over the YouTube audience every day. Like they were, you know, maybe two years ago. And um, it's really hard to monetize the short form content because putting up a 12 second video, just talking about a brand is not the same thing as working a brand naturally into a content that is 30 minutes long. Sure, sure. Wow, David, this is great stuff. On a different subject completely, I know that Thought Leaders is a bootstrapped company. And we've been talking about it quite quite a bit. You know, Vimy is also a bootstrapped company. You know, both of us trying to scale you know, globally in a, without external funding. So, I mean, I mean, I would like to know this decision to go bootstrapping is something you've decided from the get-go or, or is it something that, uh, you know, you saw the company growing and you decided somewhere along the way to keep it that way? Tell us a little bit about the bootstrapping journey from your perspective. Yeah, so with Thought Leaders, this was 100% planned and, and um, a conscious decision from the beginning. Okay. And I really believe in it. Um, I had a previous startup where we were funded and um, we were always kind of chasing investors and trying to get investors to believe in this, this theoretical product concept that we had and give us money so we can go build it. And I didn't really like that. Um, maybe it's, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just not that good at getting investors to, to, <laughs> you know, give me money or, or maybe it's really, you know, something that I, I had a, problem with, but I didn't really like chasing investors to on, on this concept of like a dream and give me the money to go build it. Um, sure. I also didn't want to give up, you know, control of the company to someone who's not in the company. Um, so those are the two kind of fundamental reasons why I wanted to bootstrap with, with thought leaders. Look, if, if the company, there are industries, you know, if you're doing something and, um, medicine, whatever, right. Or uh, rockets. I understand that bootstrapping isn't for every industry, right? Um, you can't like iterate a new medicine, right? You could hurt people. People could die if you give them medicine that isn't good. Right. But, um, if you're dealing with content advertising and you can't find any way to get someone somewhere to pay you for what you're delivering along the way, then I think you need to ask some hard questions if you're actually delivering any value. Um, so with thought leaders, we, 
we started by we've been a technology company from day one and my background is technology we wanted to build something really big um but the way that we got revenue from day one was effectively offering services that over time would the technology would do instead of the service or parts of it, right? Or or would at least augment exactly. the service. You use better. the margin from services to build your technology platform and totally. build this revenue. So we reinvest yeah. we reinvest yeah. all of the profits back into growing the company. Mm -hmm. Um and um yeah, we've been doing this for about seven years now. Amazing. Amazing. Seems like you like this journey, right? Yeah, I think yeah. it's uh <laughs> the journey of building a startup is uh is definitely the journey for me. No problem. In the meantime, tell us uh, what is the best place for people to find you uh, in the company? Uh, Thoughtleaders.io is our is our website. Um, okay. You can find the company. You can find me pretty easily there as well. Um, and yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, I'm, that's probably one of my most uh, active platforms. Great. So David, it was a pleasure, uh, you know, inviting you to the episode and being as a, being here as a guest. Really appreciate the time and the effort. We'd love to catch up and hear your progress in the future. So thanks a lot. Hope to see you soon. Bye bye. Yeah, thanks for having me, and I hope uh, there's something useful for the people listening in. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Your support means the world to us. If today's episode has been insightful for you. Consider sharing it with someone who would also benefit. Even one share can make a big difference. Looking to elevate your e-commerce game? Discover Vimy, a multi-channel e-commerce platform that will transform your business with the power of shoppable video. Visit us at vimy.net to learn more. It's vimy, V-I-M-M-I dot Thank you for being part of our journey. Stay tuned for more invaluable insights in our next episode.